0: It's Friday, June 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Right now, there are over 100 coronavirus vaccine candidates in various stages of testing, and when one finally breaks through, it may not be as simple as one shot and you're done. There's a high likelihood that an eventual vaccine could be a two-dose protocol, given a month or two apart. The first injection would prime the immune system, and the second would strengthen the immune system response. Elizabeth Weiss, reporter at USA Today, joins us for why you might need two coronavirus shots. Next, as protests continue around the country, the DEA has given permission to collect intelligence on people protesting George Floyd's death, according to a memo obtained by BuzzFeed News. The authority was granted only on a two-week basis as they look to provide law enforcement with backup investigating extremist groups and those causing violence. Jason Leopold, senior investigative reporter at BuzzFeed News, joins us for more. Finally, the latest unemployment data is showing that the number of workers applying for and receiving unemployment benefits still remained historically high, but eased at the end of May. This leads many to hope that the worst of the economic fallout from the pandemic is over. Sarah Chansey, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for some good economic news. It's news without the noise. Let's dive
1: in. We know that people who've had MERS, which is uh, you actually get from camels, people tend to keep antibodies for about three years and then they start to fade. That doesn't mean that's what will happen with coronavirus. We simply don't know because it only popped up in December. So this is all very, very new.
0: Joining us now is Elizabeth Weiss, reporter at USA Today. Thanks for joining us, Elizabeth. You're welcome. We're looking ahead to when we finally have a vaccine for COVID-19. Obviously, we're still some time away. There's over 100 vaccine candidates in various stages of testing right now. But one of the things that is becoming a little more clear is that when we finally get this vaccine, it might not be just a one-shot thing. It might be a series of shots or at least two shots, something kind of like a booster or follow-up. Elizabeth, tell us a little bit more about it.
1: So this is a novel virus, so it's near to human beings, which means we don't have antibodies to it or very near cousins unless you were exposed to SARS or MERS, which hopefully you haven't been. So it looks as if there's about 10 vaccine candidates that are kind of a little further along. They're in human trials and of those, at least seven are presuming they will need two shots and you'd get one, you'd probably wait a month to two months and then get a second one. And then you'd be fully immunized and protected. So it wouldn't just be a single jab and you're done.
0: And the way it works is that that first shot would kind of primes the immune system to help it recognize the virus, maybe start getting some antibodies going. And then the second one strengthens that immune response. And as you mentioned, that gives you that immunity for a little bit of time thereafter.
1: Then that's the other piece of it that we don't know yet is how long the immunity that you get from the vaccination will work. I mean, there are some diseases that measles, for example, once you're immunized, you're set for life, polio, smallpox. Um, there are others, influenza, for example, where you have to get vaccinated every year. There's some data that looks, and this goes to MERS, which is a different coronavirus. And we know that people who've had MERS, which is uh, you actually get from camels, people tend to keep antibodies for about three years and then they start to fade. That doesn't mean that's what will happen with coronavirus. We simply don't know because it only popped up in December. So this is all very, very new. But it could be that you get the one, two vaccine series whenever we get a vaccine. And then maybe in a couple of years, you have to get revaccinated. It's not looking like you'd have to get one every year like you do with the flu.
0: Dr. Fauci has said that other common coronaviruses that give you, you know, the common cold and all that. The immunity mm-hmm. only lasts maybe three to six months. That's why we're always getting it again. But it seems that this COVID-19, the one SARS-CoV-2 is a little more stable. So it's not changing as much. Obviously, we still need to learn a lot more about it. But in the meantime, right now, we're finding it it's not changing that much.
1: People talk about, oh, there are various and variants out there. But those are actually, the really tiny mutations. They don't seem to be affecting at all the virulence or of the virus. It's just there are enough change that you can say, oh, look, there's one strain. It's like having red hair or black hair. It doesn't mean that you're intrinsically different.
0: You were mentioning how some of the top vaccine candidates are not top, but just that they're further along in the process right now. About seven of them of the top 10 are considering maybe two shots For this vaccine, one of them, Merck, however, who's developing one, they're hoping they can get a one-shot vaccine. Do we know anything about that one?
1: I have not gotten fully clear on Merck's vaccine. Vaccines historically have been based on either inactivated virus or a killed virus. So you actually take the full viruses are a very small sequence of RNA and you take the killed virus or an inactivated virus and inject it into the person and your body is then exposed to the full gamut of that virus and so it's able to very quickly ramp up a immune response and the Chinese a couple of the Chinese companies they're also working in killed virus or weakened virus and then The other ones we're seeing, the Moderna, the one that's coming out of Oxford, those are all using new technologies where they're doing one of two things. Either they're taking a little piece of protein that is similar to the spike on the coronavirus and they insert that into the body and then the body can recognize that bit of protein that it would see on the coronavirus if you got infected with it. Or they're inserting RNA or DNA, which then causes the body's own cells to create those bits of protein. And so you're not getting exposed to the full virus there. And that's one of the reasons why you might need the one-two punch with a um, immunization because you're just seeing a, a piece of the virus Whereas in a couple of the other variants, you're seeing the full virus or your body's being exposed to the full virus.
0: Why this is such important to this story about the vaccine and all is that if you need to do a two-dose vaccine protocol for the entire country, that's going to require a lot of coordination, a lot of record keeping, making sure people are following up and all. There's tons of immunizations that are given to children that are multiple doses, as you mentioned, the measles and a bunch of other ones. But when they're kids, doctor visits are kind of scheduled around those things. And you mentioned in your article in adults, some of the vaccines that they have that are more than one dose, a lot of people don't get them because they don't follow back up. So, this is an important distinction to know that if this is going to be a two dose protocol, you're going to have to go back, you're going to have to schedule it, make sure you hit your appointments and everything.
1: And the other thing to remember is it's really likely that we're not just going to have one coronavirus vaccine. We're probably going to have a couple. I mean, all these people who are working on it, they're all going to come to market. And there might be one that works better if you're over 65, and there might be one that works better in kids. And so you're going to have to know not just when you got vaccinated, but with which of the vaccines out there you got vaccinated. Because there are probably going to be multiple different vaccines, what this is going to do is we'll have to call on the state immunization registries. State immunization registries were created for pediatric vaccinations because kids get a ton of vaccines. Some of them are even a series of five over the course of childhood. And so they need to keep track of what vaccines they got, when they got them, which one they got, when they're scheduled for the next one. And those registries work really well for children. They tend not to work as well for adults. And they also are state specific. Some of them are even county and city specific. So there's 62 of them in the U.S. Well, I think Guam is included in there too. So there's a lot of them and talking back and forth is very complicated. So they are trying now to gear up to be ready for this onslaught whenever we do get a vaccine because we're going to have to have some sort of mechanism. If you think about it, A lot of people work in Washington, D.C., so you might get your first vaccination at the local drugstore, your local CVS. So that's great. But then when it's time for your second vaccine, you might be back home in Maryland or Virginia and you go to your doctor. Well, your doctor needs to know which vaccine you got and when you got it. And the problem is right now the vaccine registries for Maryland, Washington, D.C., and Virginia, they don't talk to each other. So they're trying to work that out now. We've got some time, and that's the good news.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely the effort that needs to be undertaken in coordination is going to be really big. But like you said, we have some time until that vaccine gets here, so hopefully we can get it in gear. Elizabeth Weiss, reporter at USA Today, thank you very much for joining us. You're so welcome. I am your president of law and order and an ally of all peaceful protesters. But in recent days, our nation has been gripped by professional anarchists, violent mobs, arsonists, looters, criminals, rioters, Antifa, and others. Joining us now is Jason Leopold, senior investigative reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for joining us, Jason.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: There's been a lot of scrutiny on the administration and how they've been reacting to all the protests and unrest surrounding George Floyd's death. One of the interesting things that you guys wrote about there is how the DEA has been given permission to investigate people protesting when they're out there. They've been giving some new authority to conduct covert surveillance and collect intelligence on people. Jason, tell us about this and what it really means.
2: Well, this is a memo that the acting administrator of the DEA, his name is Timothy Shea. Mr. Shea is also a former U.S. attorney, and he's actually the U.S. attorney who filed the papers seeking the dismissal of the charges against Michael Flynn. So a little footnote on that. But he sought authority to go beyond the DEA's mandate on Sunday, and he sent a memo to the office of the Deputy Attorney General. They approved it. And basically what he said, and this also came on the heels of Attorney General Bill Barr stating that they were going to use federal law enforcement to more or less crack down on the protests. And what Timothy Shea had said here in this memo is that they want agents to deal with the unrest, which local police and other law enforcement have been unable to deal with. In order to execute that mission, they need the permission and the authority to do a number of different things, to interview people, to conduct covert surveillance, to collect intelligence, to share that intelligence with local law enforcement. In addition to that, to make arrests. So it's quite troubling. One of the things that was very noticeable to legal scholars who looked at this memo is that there's no built-in protections in the memo for the First Amendment rights of individuals to freely gather and protest. So essentially they're looking to perform an intelligence function here. And there's certainly a long history of the federal government investigating subversive groups and getting involved covertly in civil rights movement. So what stood out here is that Shea asked for this authority for a two week period over the next 14 days nationwide to begin doing this. We don't know if any other agency has sought similar authority as the article I wrote notes during the protests involving the death of Freddie Gray in Baltimore in police custody and the death of Michael Brown by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri, we do know that the Department of Homeland Security was heavily involved in surveilling and scrutinizing the protest movements surrounding that. But this is nationwide. Right. So it remains to be seen exactly what will happen. But again, this is a memo that was not public that I obtained and that the sources that I obtained it from were deeply troubled by the fact that they were being moved from investigating drug crimes to now being involved in investigating people who are exercising their First Amendment right to protest. As I noted, Timothy Shea, who put together this memo, he had been appointed the acting administrator of the DEA only a few weeks ago.
0: Now, one question I have, the president has said he's all about law and order and, and, you know, he's going to pull out all the stops to kind of stop the violent protests and all that. He's identified groups such as Antifa. I think he said that they were going to designate them a terrorist organization. When the DA gets tasked with something like this or given this new authority to conduct this surveillance, what does that mean? Uh, Does that mean they're going to use facial recognition? Like, how are they going to identify these people?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I have to say I don't have the answer. And in the past, if we look at some past cases, notably a past case involving Bill Barr. Bill Barr was the official decades ago who approved and oversaw the DEA's use of surveillance tools and bulk collection tools. Just this past December, Senator Ron Wyden and Patrick Leahy uh, demanded some answers from the Attorney General Bill Barr related to his authorization of the fact that, you know, the DEA had been involved in various forms of intelligence gathering and surveillance using using various uh, technology. So, you know, there's w- what we have seen publicly, or at least what's been publicly reported, is that uh, the capabilities by which the DEA can do this may come from you know, things known as dirt boxes and and drones. So as you can imagine, you know, the technology is constantly advancing. And whether there's anything new uh, that they're going to put to use, uh, if that actually happens, remains to be seen. I just unfortunately don't have the answer to that.
0: Well, it doesn't seem like the protests are going to stop anytime soon uh, as things just keep heating up with this case. So definitely something to keep track of. Jason Leopold, senior investigative reporter at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you again. I appreciate it.
3: Leading up to the coronavirus pandemic, claims were historically low. Initial claims were hovering around 200,000 per week. Now they're pretty consistently in the millions.
0: Joining us now is Sarah Cheney, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Thanks
3: so much for having me.
0: We've been tracking how the economy has been reacting throughout this coronavirus pandemic. Obviously, one of the biggest things we're always focused on is jobs and the unemployment numbers and how many people are filing for unemployment benefits. This past week that we got data for was a little bit better. It seems that things are starting to get slightly better as the economy is slowly reopening. Sarah, tell us a little bit about it. We saw
3: that the number of people applying for and receiving unemployment benefits still remains historically high leading up to the coronavirus pandemic. Claims were historically low. Initial claims were hovering around 200,000 per week. Now they're pretty consistently in the millions. But like you mentioned, initial claims have eased some and appear to have peaked in late March after an initial surge of layoffs.
0: But one of the interesting things, too, is that we're talking about these number of applications. They fell this past week in 36 states. That's a lot of states across the country. So that's kind of one of these other markers that we're hoping that the biggest part of this is over. And with so many states easing up on that, it's a good sign.
3: So the number of applications for unemployment benefits fell in 36 states and the same number of states recorded a decline in the number of Americans receiving or collecting benefits, and the week ended May 23rd. So that does seem to suggest that some rehiring is taking place. We also know that states are allowing businesses to reopen with restrictions, of course, and companies, especially small businesses, are recalling workers to qualify for some small business government loans. And so all of those factors are kind of indicating that we have probably seen the worst of the economic and labor market fallout from the coronavirus pandemic.
0: A lot of the experts still say that the recovery in the labor market is going to be really slow. They think it'll be a few years before we're back up and running the way we were. So it's going to be tough. I know there's a lot of Americans that were furloughed. So we're hoping that those people start coming back, but then there's a lot of others that were permanently laid off.
3: Economists generally agree that it will probably take years for the economy to fully regain the millions of jobs that we've lost during coronavirus. And We'll get some more information on the labor market and its performance in May tomorrow. The U.S. Labor Department is issuing the May jobs report. So that will show, you know, how many jobs were lost last month. We know that layoffs have continued, although, as mentioned, they've they've eased. And economists that we survey are expecting non-farm payrolls, i.e. jobs, fell by about 8 million in May.
0: For now, federal and state unemployment payments are really high. They're paying out in the billions. How long are these unemployment benefits going to last for people? I know people were getting an extra $600, things like that. How long are we expecting all of that to last?
3: Right now, the extra $600, which is on top of the regular weekly benefit amount that people are collecting, is that extra $600 is expected to last through the summer or July. And unless new legislation is passed, it's unclear whether that will happen.
0: Well, in the meantime, we're seeing some slightly good news as things have kind of held steady and we're expecting things to start ramping up, hopefully, but it might be a slow ramp up. Sarah Cheney, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks
3: so much for having me.